Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledygeek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I am Eric Sippel. And I am Arlo Wiley. <laughs> You're so excited to be here. Um, it's, a, it's a season finale episode. We've got <laughs> we've to be more dramatic than usual. I see, I see. Well, um, for those of you uh, familiar with the show, you'll know each week we gather to discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both of the series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we are discussing tonight. Uh, and tonight... Uh, we lied to you, listeners, because we're dirty, dirty liars. Uh, last episode, we said that tonight we would be discussing only two chapters before easing our way into the season finale. Well, surprise, we're actually going all in. Uh, we're just sprinting to the finish line as we discuss the final four chapters of book three, Change. Uh, that's going to be chapters 310, Long Live the Queen, 311, The Ultimatum, 312, Enter the Void, and the Grand Poobah 313 Venom of the Red Lotus. So, You know what makes me sad about this? What? I didn't get to offer blind guesses I know. as to what the last two were based on the title. I know. That's like my favorite part of this dumb podcast. And you had a good, you had a couple of good ones too. I mean, I think that you'd have had a pretty good Enter the Void, and you might have even had a twofer because Venom of the Red Lotus, you might have come up with something for. Yeah. I mean, it was it was going to be a jo- one. The first one was going to be a joke about that documentary touching the void. Exactly. <laughs> the, second, the second one was going to be you know Venom from Spider Man. So, I knew it. You know, I knew it. Whatever. Whatever. It's fine. It's yeah. Whatever. Oh well. Water under the bridge. Uh, waterbenders under the bridge. So. Anyways, uh, that's a lot to cover, so let's not waste any more time. Let's not pretend we have any witty banter uh, this week. Uh, Let go your earthly tether, enter the void, empty, and become wind. Arlo, first thoughts. You're the noob. Uh, Your first thoughts on these. Let's just, uh, we'll go. I want to know if your first thoughts on these very much kids television episodes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Of of Korra. Yeah, shit. This was... um... There was some real shit in these episodes. Um, I mean, yep, on, just... cam- on camera assassination is now a thing on Nickelodeon show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I want. And this was before they knew these were going to get punted online. Right. Like they were prepared to show this as being broadcast on Nickelodeon. Yep. That is that's intense. Um, I mean, my my the the most shocking moment for me uh, was Police's death. Yeah. Um, just because it was it was so well done and so abrupt and shocking just just the way they did it you know you it's you suddenly re, it's one of those things where you see it happen and it took me a sec it took my uh, my brain a second to catch up to to sort of uh recognize like oh shit they just killed her <laughs> they just like straight up killed her to death did you <laughs> did you find it interesting i found this curious that i mean so there's there's a fair number of like fairly brutal sequences in these um, three episodes, but we get the full-on graphic asphyxiation of the Earth Queen, mm-hmm. but they cut away from what would have been a much less gruesome explosion death from Pali. I just found that interesting. That that it feels like the censors got freaked out by Pali blowing up, and we got a very oblique cutaway. But man, they linger for a long time. On asphyxiation, yeah, bulging eyes and and yeah, veins like, popping yeah. and full total recall. 
<laughs> like I, I think the give her back her air. Oh, <laughs> I think I think police death for me works as well as it does because of the quick cutaway. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that was a, a censors thing or not. Um, but yeah, the asphyxiation. Fuck, that was like I, I think uh, one of my notes was like, did did he just kill the Earth Queen? And then, of course, later on with Korra herself, it was just, it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. so, heavy shit. So I have a suggestion for talking about these since we're doing four, and this may, may, tell me if you guys think this is a good idea or not, but do we want to talk about the first two and then the second two in terms of the details? Because we were going to watch them that way, and I feel like those are both linked fairly well and maybe easier to talk about if we split them up that way, but, or we can just talk about all four. I'm, I'm fine either way, but I just wanted to see how we wanted to break uh, this up. Arlo, Arlo had suggested all four. I'm fine with kind of breaking them up because... The, uh, you know, when I initially set these episodes out and sort of scheduled them the way I did, I had forgotten, but how we originally would have done this, we would have had, we would have left on a cliffhanger where it basically looked like Tenzin had just been murdered. And so the fact that we are now combining all four of these episodes into one podcast, we, we kind of lose that, uh, that painful week long did they or did they not kill Tenzin Gap? I kind I kind of miss that. I, I wish Arlo had had the opportunity to suffer for a week, thinking that maybe they had killed off Tenzin. You wish that you had been able to torture me, yes, for a week, or or knowing how this podcast goes for the next three to four weeks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, I don't know, Arlo. I mean, what do can, you think? We can we can totally talk about. Arlo. We can talk about them as sets of two. By the way, the Avatar Returns, the only podcast where during the as you listen to the podcast, we're figuring out how to do the podcast. Um, we can we can do them as sets of two. Um, that that's perfectly fine with me. Um, the, the reason I had suggested all four is because, like, it, being able to watch all four in a row, I was reminded a lot of the Avatar series finale, like. These four episodes taken together, I, I think they're they're almost as epic as as Sozin's Comet. I mean, the scale might be a little different. Like the world's not about to end, but it it feels like it. Mm-hmm. Like these episodes are, uh, like we've already said, they're pretty brutal. They're pretty heavy. Um, there actually are it, some thematic similarities between. Thematic and visual, actually, I mean, you make a pretty good point for talking about them all. I mean, because we may want to end up jumping around. But I mean, the um, uh, what's sorry, Korra and Zaheer's battle is very reminiscent of Aang and uh, uh, Ozai's battle. Yes, only right. only and... only inverted because uh, in this one, our, our hero is the one that's jetting around with fire, and and yes. the villain is the one who's the Airbender. That's a good call. Right, and then um, I was reading, uh, someone else had pointed out um, that uh, the cave where Korra is being kept, the, the green crystals and everything are reminiscent of the end of, uh, the, end of the second season of Avatar, mm-hmm. where, the, where uh, Zuko turns on them. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if there are any... Uh, if there's any, like, thematic similarity there. Um, we, we can just tackle them all... All four, all at once. Yeah, you know what? Let me let me let me. I'll say this for for listeners out there who are listening, who have seen these, but are did not are not rewatching with us. It might be worth just setting the 
we're going to talk about four. Basically, the last four episodes of season of season three um, deal with Zahir's final plan to catch Korra and what happens after. So we, we're picking up with them, the Earth Queen still having Korra and them captured, um, and going through Zahir's uh, plot to use leverage the capture of all the airbenders and their potential slaughter to lure Korra to him. So that's basically the arc we're dealing with here. Right. And... Uh... So as to what I was saying a second ago about the, the, the similarity between this and the second season finale of Avatar, um, this is from, um, I don't know the guy's real name, but his username is an unfriendly introverted guy, uh, which I think could describe really any of us. Uh, it's from the AV Club review of uh, the, the, the season finale of Korra. Um, his his comment was, I don't know if anyone else has made this observation, but the similar designs of Zahir's cave and the caverns where the crossroads of destiny took place, those green crystals, could have been a purposeful visual callback. It seems like these two finales were meant to parallel and echo one another. Not only are both episodes dark, ending at an emotional low point for their respective protagonists, but they both involve the Avatar being inches away from death while in the Avatar state, only to be saved at the last moment by their friend's powers, Aang by Katara and her water from the spirit oasis, Korra by Jinora's spiritual powers and Suyin's metal bending. And Zaheer accomplished what Aang struggled with in the Book 2 finale, untethering himself from his earthly yeah. attachments to attain greater power, specifically letting go of love. Yeah, I, I did want to talk about the fact that uh, Zaheer, we get a glimpse here of, a, you know, an ability that Aang possibly could have tapped into if he had been able to, uh, you know, sever his earthly ties to Katara the way uh, the guru wanted him to. So the flying thing, can I can I talk about the flying thing for a second? Um, Absolutely. So okay. remind anyone else of, uh, of Buffy suddenly being able to fly? Uh, Thankfully, no. Better, much better. Um, absolutely um okay so the i we had i had talked before when we got into this season that i liked a lot about this season and i loved zaheer as a philosophical villain but i had some concerns about him being way overpowered and through this this our podcast i've been sort of headcanoning things as i feel like it's not quite as egregious as i thought it was but in my head was the real sticking point well two sticking points of Zaheer's overpoweredness that I wasn't sure how I was going to deal with. The first was Tenzin's defeat, because my read the first time through I had watched this was, how the hell does Zaheer beat Tenzin? Which I actually just misread that scene, because frankly, he doesn't. Yeah, um, exactly. He gets, he gets a lot of help. And I, I I think I may have already been annoyed that he was overpowered and just been reading him going toe-to-toe. So anyways, that that I, I'm just setting aside, because he actually doesn't beat Tenzin. But the bigger thing was him flying, because... My thought initially was, okay, Aang can never fly. Tenzin can't. We've never seen anyone do this. How can this guy who learned airbending like two weeks ago fly? <laughs> um, so but I, so here I have like a three-stage um, headcanon of this, actually, which I actually think makes a lot of sense of this. I even pitched this to my friend who loathes Zaheer's overpoweredness, and he was like, all right, I'll rewatch it with that in mind. <laughs> um, and so one of them is exactly what you said, Paul, which is that he can't do it until Pali's death. Right. Um, he lets go of his earthly tether. He actually needs to be in the right psychological state to do it, and he's been working on it, and it doesn't matter until he really does lose his last tie to, to Earth. So that makes a certain amount of sense. The second thing is Tenzin makes it really clear um, that he thought it was a legend, which tells me that no one has even bothered to try to do this. 
in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not just a power that other airbenders haven't been able to master. It's something that they didn't even think was possible. And Zaheer is the type of person to think, I have read this. This is possible. I will make myself be able to do this. So it's just like people who break records of times that the reason the record always goes up is because you never think you can be that much faster than the record. Mm-hmm. So the a part of it is, is that Zaheer is just willing to believe that something is possible, which Tenzin clearly is not. And the third thing is, and honestly, I can't believe I ever thought about this before, uh, a couple of the ways that people talk about it, flying as an airbending power is probably very likely similar to lava bending or metal bending in that it is not a power that every single airbender can even do. Not every earthbender can metal bend. Not every earthbender can lava bend. So it's possible that flying is one of those things that you just have to be the right bender to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And that Zaheer happens to be that. So all those things taken together, for me, built an explanation for why Zaheer is able to do this when no one else has can. So I was angry about it before, and now I feel like I have an explanation. So I give this for anyone else out there who thought, this is bullshit. This is where I've landed. So I'm actually no longer... How I long to start... How I learned to stop worrying and love is here. <laughs> All right, here we go. Anyway, sorry, thank you for thank you for humoring me on dealing with my past trauma with here. <laughs> you, uh, you have changed and grown as a person, Eric. I applaud you. You, you know, I feel like... I. Paul went through changes on his attitude towards stuff in in Avatar, I feel like. Azula. Yeah. Azula. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so this was mine. This was the thing that I came in with baggage on. And, and so it's been a good – which means we both got something really important out of this rewatch. I mean, behind the back that it's been good, but we actually re-examined previous conceptions in these conversations. So yeah. very exciting. So there we go. There's my – you're right, guys. I thank you for what, – What am I going to have baggage about when I come back to these shows? Um is it going to be Mako? It's probably going to be Mako. The the, yeah. the dancing episode of uh, of Avatar season three was it book three? I really yeah. liked that episode. No, what what was that, it? That, that's some baggage. What was it that you hated? There was one that you hated that that Eric and I were so disappointed. Oh, I don't remember. Oh well, I was. don't remember at all. You know what I am going to do when I go back to watch Avatar? I'm going to be like, you know what? This prison episode is really fucking good. <laughs> I knew the prison episode was coming back up. <laughs> hey, um, hey, you know, we we kind of sort of get two more prison breaks in uh in one of these episodes. Yeah, we do. Not not really. Neither one of them is really a prison break, <laughs> but we get uh Cora and Asami, mostly Asami, uh breaking their asses out of the the airship cell. Yeah. Uh, is that then, when uh, Cora's all like Hannibal lectured up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh later on we get um Bolin metal bending them out only it's not really him that that was really funny that was really funny but you know what these shows like this franchise as a whole has a long history of of like jailbreaks they're they're seriously into it they 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 really are that's their favorite thing to do Uh, if there aren't at least like six more in book four I'm gonna be so disappointed (laughs) um so, yeah, so if, if we're tackling all of these together, I'm not quite sure where to start. I, I will I'll, I will just repeat that, like, taken together, this really did feel sort of like, like Sozin's Comet did. This, to me, felt like a movie. Um, 
the the entire thing is just it, it brings everything together so beautifully it's you know it, it's amazing like after uh book two and by the way you guys in looking up like info on this episode and reading people's opinions on it i discovered the true depth of hatred people have for book two of legend of Korra. <laughs> um i i you know we all had problems with it yeah. but i i don't understand how people thought it was like the worst thing ever it yeah i i still think it's better than avatar's worst which there isn't a whole lot of avatar's worst don't get me wrong but i i actually think the depths of season two of Korra are higher than the depths of i guess that was season two of avatar when it like sort of dragged in the middle Mm -hmm. and didn't have anyone doing anything i actually think that i and we're talking measures of degrees here but i don't think it's at the very least it's not any worse than that yeah and uh reading comments on that av club review um people at at the end of book three of legend of korra were still saying that you know korra's characters were just stiff and uninteresting and the writers didn't know what they were doing and this could never possibly be even a smidgen as good as avatar yeah, um, that's that's, a little, that's unfair. <laughs> such a such a bizarre attitude to have. Have I ever mentioned before that I hate fandom? <laughs> no, I think is, I might have. Never, this has never come up. I, I don't think. But I, actually, I, I may not have on this podcast, but <laughs> fa- fa- fandom is the devil. Anyway, um, you, you know, so, you know what? We're talking about doing these all as four, and it might be. Let's just get long live the queen out of the way because not. Not an awful lot happens in that episode, except for obviously the the sort of big deal of Zaheer really doubles down, like he really draws a line in the sand. Oh, oh see what I did there. Oh. Yeah, you're you're right. This is really more the prologue to the I think more of a three parter. Yeah, yeah. Finale. So, so long live the queen. It, it was a great episode, and I mean there was there was cool stuff in there. I mean we got the two prison break sort of things. We got some uh, some Bolin physical comedy with him trying to metal bend. Uh, but the big thing obviously was the fucking on camera assassination. I mean Sahir has yeah. always been able to suck the air out of a room whenever he walks in, but they they went uh, they went literal <laughs> they... <laughs> with it. Yeah, that was that was something. Um, though I w- I will say, he gets kind of a a groaner of a line right beforehand. Freedom is just as essential as air. <laughs> it's it's really yeah. It, it kind uh, it kind of showed the. Uh, some of the weakness of uh, Henry Rollins's vocal performance. So we've, we've talked a little bit about the, the weird, like how amazing it is to have Henry Rollins in this role, but how it's just weird to actually hear him. He's the perfect Zaheer, but he still sticks out because Henry Rollins doesn't not sound like Henry Rollins. Exactly. So, but, but boy, like, you know, nothing, I think I don't, this is the good thing about this, this episode besides being for kids um, it is, it you know, is for kids. nothing defines the interesting like duality of Zaheer more than this episode because he is absolutely someone we want to see go down. He he does like like an extreme libertarian. He does not care who gets hurt as a result of him toppling everything. So it doesn't make him an admirable person in a lot of ways. But on the other hand, the Earth Queen is awful. Yeah. I mean, like she is the epitome of what he's talking about. Everything he's complaining about about tyranny is 
exemplified in the Earth Queen. And so we get this confrontation between extreme anarchy and extreme tyranny. And you can't help but feel like, I don't feel bad about her dying. No, I no. know that he's not a great person, but I just don't, I don't feel like she, she kind of deserves it. Yeah, this is the second time uh, that we get to see the, the fall of Ba Sing Se. Um, uh, but this one is much more satisfying than it was in, in Avatar when Azula uh, sacked the city, basically, because uh, that last time, the the Earth King, I mean, he was kind of a doofus, but we certainly didn't have any reason to dislike him. He had a cool bear. He had a cool bear that got eaten later. Uh, By, queen. <laughs> By this queen. Um, and yeah, so this uh, has sort of a... This fall of Bossing Say had a very uh, boxer rebellion y feel to me. Ooh, good call. Um, yeah. Complete with, like, if the queen is the Empress Dowager, which I don't remember her name from the actual boxer rebellion, but I, I feel like she is very reminiscent of that person. And so there are some some similarities, I think, here in the fall of Bossing Say. I mean, you even get the. Uh, so we go from seeing. Uh, Zaheer like rip the air, literally rip the air out of the queen earth queen's lungs and suffocate her on camera very graphically. Um, and then like the next time we see him, he's like, uh, ming is threatening the guy in the radio room. And Zaheer's like, no, 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 we're not, we're here to help these people, not hurt them. Yeah. Uh, he- and, and then they tear down the, the, the inner walls of bossing say, and basically hand it over to the people. It's really interesting because it's like, I'm not going to hurt them, even though the total destruction of the order of this country is certainly going to result in the death of and harm of a lot of people. But I'm not going to kill them because that means that would. But it's on you. If you can't keep yourself alive. All right. But (laughs) but I'm not here. We're not not here to trash these people. It's just it's you know what it is about Zaheer that I find interesting in the writing is he is ideologically consistent as in his writing like he. A lot of times villains are very mutable based on what the plot needs. Zaheer is very dedicated to what he's trying to do the whole time. All of his actions, even small ones like that, add up. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. Um, how, well, how did you feel about the Earth Green going down? How did you feel about like this whole – like Zaheer's whole thing here? You know, before he makes that bad pun, he does have the line um, – well, she says to him, you wouldn't dare attack a queen. And he responds, maybe I forgot to mention something to you. I don't believe in queens. And my, I, I think I mentioned this before. My knee-jerk like, instinct is to be like, hey, you know what? I don't either. Fuck the royalty. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I, I don't believe, I don't, you know, I don't think Queen Elizabeth should have any power. Um, but wow. I, I think wow, you. Wow, this show just got super political. <laughs> I, I did, didn't say I wanted to uh, strangle Queen Elizabeth, um, but uh, we need to get a Wezo on here. Can we yeah. make an emergency call to the, the UK right now to get Wezo's opinion on the royals? <laughs> um, but uh, Eric, you have a really good point in that he comes to Bossing Say and he says these noble things like we're here to help these people. But what he's actually causing, it's 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 like you said, extreme anarchy. He's from a certain perspective, he is doing the right thing. He is giving power to the people, but he's giving power to the people in 
uh, a, a destructive, unsustainable way that's just going to cause maybe bossing, say, as we know it should collapse, but it's going to be very violent and he he won't hold himself responsible for that. Mm-hmm. He, he says something in one of the episodes, and I can't remember which, but it, this is probably the best time to bring it up when he says, like, something about how it will be a world where there's nothing to tell you what to do except for your own will and, and protecting the people that you love. Like, he says something along those lines in one of these episodes, which sounds really nice when you're an airbender and a special forces team that can do whatever you want. It's a little less exciting when you're, like, one of the peasants in Bossing Say that we've seen and when you're getting rolled by whoever at that point yeah Yeah. it's a little different the experience of anarchy is a little different for those two groups yeah mako and bolin's entire family probably would have died if they hadn't uh, stopped on their way out of town oh absolutely uh, they would yeah in granny still didn't want to go yeah like bolin actually had to pick her up and forcibly remove her from the house yeah um um all right, well, let's get to the, the, the three episodes then. Ultimatum, Enter the Void. And... Well, hold on. Oh. Uh, we we got to talk about the, uh, the the Sand Shark. Okay. Oh, this uh... is the Sand Shark episode. You're right. Yeah. Uh, at first, when you, we didn't get a really good look at it, I, I thought it was, the first thing that came to mind was like Dune or uh, Beetlejuice, like <laughs> giant sand worms. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it was a Sand Shark, and that was pretty cool. And I just want to point out the captain – on the airship had a hook for a hand. Yes, he did. He did. He did. Uh-huh. And you know, oh, I missed that. You know, and it wasn't until his very last scene where he pulled, he spent like the entire episode with both hands in his pockets. So uh-huh, yeah. my memory of this character was that he had two hook hands, um, which would have been hilarious. But then at the very end, we see he <laughs> like shakes her hand with his hook and then he salutes her with like his, he's actually got a regular hand, but Still, I, I was, he spent the entire episode, you never saw his hands until the very end, and I was like, oh yeah, this guy's got two hook hands, that's hilarious. Did that subplot feel super Avatar to you all? Like it, more it, of an yeah, Avatar you know subplot core one? Yeah, it yeah, did. It, now that you mention it. It did, and you know, here's the other weird thing, that captain, the airship captain, he kind of reminds me, um, Eric, you may have watched Star Blazers, Arlo, I don't think you ever did, but um, Captain Avatar... It didn't dawn on me until I was writing this note down, but the captain of the spaceship Yamato uh, from Star Blazers was called Captain Avatar, and this starship ca- or this airship captain reminded me a lot of him. Oh, you know, so Star Blazers is, um, I think, Harlock in Japan. It's a space battleship Yamato. Yeah, which is, um, and Yamato is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So I, 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 I've seen the Japanese, some of the Japanese um, versions of Space Battleship Yamato. Yeah, I watched some of the the Japanese Yamato. I didn't even think about that. That is a that is a classic thing. And you're right. There is some. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Uh, it's serves no purpose, but I just thought it was amusing. I have never heard of Star Blazers. Oh, my God. A little little bit of trivia for you all. Star Blazers is an American adaptation of Space Battleship Yamato, which was directed by Leiji Matsumoto, one of the classic anime directors, like one of the classic anime directors, who directed Daft Punk's um, Interstellar 5555 story of the secret star system, (laughs) which is the animated version of their Discovery album. And I urge you to go watch it because it is amazing. I had no idea. That is awesome. So there's some animation animation uh trivia for you there anyways continue arlo nice all right 
Um, another thing, Eric, that I think you might appreciate in Long Live the Queen is that the Red Lotus annihilates the Dai Li. Just yeah. fucking cuts them down to size. Was that satisfying for you? It was. I mean, we're talking about two overpowered groups at this point. <laughs> like, the like the Brotherhood. Hey, of audience, the... take a shot every time Eric says the word overpowered. Hey, I'm sorry, it's my thing. The liver will not it's... thank you. But but that said, it is the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants versus the Dilate. And I will always aim towards the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So. They, uh, the Dai Li did not seem very overpowered in this episode. Like, all we got to see them do, they, they got their asses handed to them, uh, without barely breaking a sweat. Like, they, they well, threw their, like, stone gloves a couple times, and Gazan just basically backhanded those back at him without even thinking about it. And, well, just remember, too, that, like, that Zuko, I think it was Zuko that said that, like, he described them the way that Bucky describes the super soldiers in Civil War, right. which is that if you, they could take down a nation in a day, yeah. basically. So they've been set up as, like, if you let them in, they're probably going to be able to take everyone down. And here we see the payoff of that, yeah. where they get into the throne room of the Earth Kingdom, demolish the secret police, and asphyxiate the Earth Queen. Yeah. For the for the lols, basically. <laughs> All right, let's let's get to the let's get to the action shit now. <laughs> so what one one last thing about the um the the this episode and this this the sand shark episode bit especially is that I want to give a shout out to it, it's to the awesomeness of Asami in yes. this episode. Yes. Her like I mean she gets out of the, she fig okay first she figures out that this is a cheap airship and Cab- cabbage that corp. she can break cabbage corp. And breaks yeah. out of it, gets underneath the thing, tells Cora exactly what to do, gets behind the guard, takes him down when Cora distracts him. I mean, just Asami is like the undercover best of the series. There's she, a lot of amazing stuff of Asami in these episodes, but this is definitely one of her shining moments. Yeah, she fixes the airship, and then when the airship gets eaten, she builds the sand sailor. It's just amazing. I love Asami. Anyway, so anyways. I just wanted to, to to give some Asami love there. Um, you wanted to get to the action. Let's get to the action. Yeah. So uh, ultimatum into the void and venom of the red lotus. This is where shit gets real as if uh, deflating the earth queen's lungs wasn't real enough. <laughs> but uh, so uh, let's see, what do we have that happens here? Arlo, uh, what'd you feel about wh- the action that we get in these three episodes? Holy shit. There are some, some absolutely insane fight sequences in these episodes. And especially in um, uh, the ultimatum, we sort of get like three battles going at the same time mm-hmm. or, or actually maybe even four battles. We've got uh, Tenzin versus Zaheer, mm-hmm. uh, Kaya versus Mingwa, Bumi versus Gazan, and Kai takes on Pali at the end. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's it's really really intense it's uh so after having just you know demolished uh the the earth queen's infrastructure basically they head on over to the northern air temple and proceed to take all of them hostage and it's they they do it very very well they they defeat all of our heroes basically it's a it's a pretty resi- i mean like they they hold off well but they are way overmatched and and it ends in poor Tenzin getting the ever loving crap beat out of him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But let's okay. So 
I'm I'm famous on this podcast for having a hard on for all of these fucking action sequences, and they only get better with every single every episode that goes along. It just gets better and better. The fight choreography here is literally brings tears to my eyes when I watch this shit. Um, and the greatest thing about the fight in this is that um, Eric, like you said earlier, Tenzin actually doesn't get his ass kicked by Zaheer at least. This is the first time. Well, we've seen Zaheer put on his heels. I can't remember what fight it was, but we saw Zaheer kind of... In Zaofu. In Zaofu. In Zaofu. Yeah. A lot of people against him. Right, right. But this is one-on-one, him against Tenzin, and it's so fucking satisfying to see that Zaheer really, really never gets his feet under him in that fight with Tenzin. Uh, If it had stayed just one-on-one, if the... the other Red Lotus people hadn't ended up joining the fight at the very end there. Tenzin could have taken him. And that is so satisfying that that pleases me more than I could possibly explain. I, I, I'm with you rewatching this. It was like, no, Tenzin actually has the upper hand in almost the entire fight. Yeah. I, he, and if, if unfortunately there was no one up to the level of, um, kind of, I'm blanking on their name. The, Ming, the and Gazan. Mingwan and Gazan, they just was and Mingwan maybe um, Kaya on her own and in, in the right circumstances maybe could have maybe maybe could have taken on Mingwa, but um, Gazan was just too much for for Boomi yeah. and any of them. So um, had there been people there to take on those two, that may have been a very different fight. Yeah. And Arlo, Arlo, did you feel at the end when Tenzin? you know, gives the line of as long as there's, as long as I'm drawing breath, it's never over or whatever. And then the camera pans while he's getting his ass kicked. Did you for even a second think, Oh shit, did they just, did he just earth queen, earth queen, uh, Tenzin? <laughs> I no, I didn't think that they had actually killed Tenzin. Um, just because it seemed like one of those classic, um, you know, pa- panning the camera over while he's getting the shit beaten out of him and then cutting to a different scene seems like a classic, misdirection but still i think like audibly while i was watching it i was like oh fuck yeah like it's 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 tough it's tough to watch it's it, this i mean like there are like no i almost said no punches pulled which just feels really really <laughs> on the nose this, but i mean really like really there are this, this right from this episode on there is like there are there's no quarter given Mm-hmm. on anything that's going on it is a Cora's back is put against the wall as soon as Zaheer decides to do this and manages to pull it off and this episode is really demoralizing because they take down the entirety of the new air nomad culture and it was it was tough to watch it was a little tough to watch I gotta be honest and we're not even that's like the tip of the iceberg for the rest of the episodes yeah. but I was already like this is this is rough yeah um, you know, I, there actually, uh, so I never thought that Tenzin was dead, but there was a minute where I thought that Kai bit it. Oh, when he gets yeah. knocked um, out of the air and yeah, like so, you know, he just he he's been you know throughout the season we've seen him grow from a a little shit into a little shit with a heart of gold, <laughs> um, and it did it did seem like there would have been something fitting about you know he he realizes that he needs to stop being selfish and he puts his life on the line to save the rest of the air nomads 
that you know it, that seemed like a good note to go out on and he wasn't such a, a crucial prominent character that i thought you know they would they would save his death for later on or not kill him at all so there was a minute where i thought that kai you know yeah bit the bullet well this is you... a good moment for a, for a kai watch check-in like we've never we we, we mentioned a couple times do we like kai what do we think about him <laughs> Do, have, have we turned on Kai at this point? Do we do we yeah, all feel better about Kai at this point? I feel better about Kai for sure, but the thing is, I still don't really feel like I know that much about Kai. Like he doesn't really he to me he still feels like a sketch. Like I don't really know him. That's fair. That's I don't fair. I don't know if I ever disliked him. It's it's hard to remember what my feelings on him were on the first watch. I I think maybe I felt like they were trying too hard to give us a new version of Aang. Um, but but just because he's he's sort of a playful scamp or whatever. But anyways, I don't know. I I I've, I've always liked Kai, so I, I enjoy seeing. I like that we get the the sort of kiss and makeup scene between him and Mako. Where they they finally acknowledge Mako's finally like, hey, sorry I gave you so much shit, and Kai's like, that's alright, I probably deserved it. <laughs> Very. This is actually, you know, actually, this is an episode. Right, the, the best point. I'm going to mention this at some point in these, and I think we're going to get absorbed into other more important things. But I don't know if we've ever properly talked about the music of Korra. We haven't really. But but you know avatar took a while i think to come into its own musically like it had some good music but i think it was probably a budgetary thing it wasn't that it was bad they just i don't think they had quite the scope of music early on but by the end of the show avatar especially in sozin's comet i think we actually talked about the music in sozin's comet mm-hmm. and and how it was very very good yeah Korra because, because like, uh that was the only time in uh avatar the last airbender they used the live orchestra yeah the that's right that's right that's why we talked about it and the music was like a huge step up and i feel like Korra, right from the beginning, is working at a musical level of sophistication that matches the best of Avatar, and you really hear it in, like, the battle music and the tension music. The music is a huge part of, in my opinion, of the rising action of these episodes, and I can't get enough of the music in Korra. I'm a, I'm a total, total fanboy Agreed. right now. Agreed. Uh, Zuckerman. I can't remember his first name. Jeremy? Uh, Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy that Zuckerman. Right. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I, I, that's just my – every episode I have to give my random shout-out apparently to like something I'll forget <laughs> to shout-out later. Sami, Jeremy Zuckerman, we can move on. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we learn a little bit about uh, Zahir, uh, Zahir and Pali in this one, in Enter the Void, where we find out that uh, apparently Zahir saved her as a young girl from – she was being held by a warlord and was going to be turned into his killing machine, which sounds kind of like maybe that's a similar origin story to combustion man. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So that's how that, that that's the meat cute between Zaheer and Pali. The it, it's very in, in character with Zaheer's backstory that like that is Pali. Like why Pali would ideologically be behind this makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. because it speaks to the evil of tyranny that would drive her to be a Red Lotus member, um, her backstory. It gives like a personalization to why you would hate power that much. Yeah. So I actually, I thought that worked really well. And, and I can't remember which episode it was in here, but somewhere in here, um, in, in one of Zahir's speeches, he actually uses the line, no more prisons. Um, yeah. 
which I feel like that kind of something about the way he delivered that line or the moment he gives it, it feels like that drills down to the core of Zaheer. Like he's got, he has this whole philosophy and he, he's all about, you know, no more world leaders and, uh, you know, chaos is the natural order and all that stuff. But I, something about that no more prisons, it feels like that's kind of what his core belief is. Like this is all built around his ideology of no one should be imprisoned. I yeah. mean, he did just spend what over a decade in prison. Right. And, yeah. I mean, in one of these, these episodes, Gazan even says like, you know, no matter what happens, like I'm not going back to prison. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll die and you'll all die with me. Um, but though that raises the interesting point of if there are no prisons, how will there continue to be prison breaks in the. <laughs> this is why he can't win. Because he is ideologically opposed to the very nature of the Avatar verse. Yes. <laughs> also, back to the thing with Pali, real quick. Uh-huh. Um, had that been alluded to in any previous episodes? Mm-mm. I don't think so. No. I, in fact, I, I I loved this because it's it's really the only moment that we get uh, with just the two of them. It's a very brief moment, uh, but it's the only time that we ever really see the two of them just as a couple together with no without anybody else there. Yeah, we, we get a brief almost that when they're like they first reunited, but there are other people there and everyone has a TMI yeah. reaction yeah. to okay. their reuniting. But that's that's the only other thing we get where those two are actually getting a moment to be close. Okay, and you're right. So, so there were, there was at least that one moment in another episode because for a second it just seemed to me really out of left field. But I guess there there had been. Like, Are you talking about them being in a relationship or the backstory of the relationship? Th- no, them being in a relationship. Oh no, that, that was that was definitely established. That was established a couple times before they rescue oh, police. Okay. It was established that that she was extremely close to him, and then they basically make out mm-hmm, yeah. when they rescue them. And Gazan is like, Ugh, "Come on, really I'll, I'll now." <laughs> Yeah. I'll, be, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I, th- it's definitely my fault for not remembering that. But I think because we've this book has been so broken up for us, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm struggling to remember some of the finer points. Yeah. Um, hopefully, book four won't be like that. He says optimistically. Yeah, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. So a big fight in this episode as well because. What enter the void. Into the Void, correct. Uh, Enter the Void, not Into the Void. Enter the Void is Arlo's stupid movie comparison. (laughs) No, that's Touching the Void. Oh, my God. This is one of those things where you're like, no, that's, and then someone says something else, and they're like, no, that's. Now I want to see, now I want to Google what Into the Void is. Into the Void, Yu-Gi-Oh! Fandom-powered Wikia. Is that Uh, that the (laughs) Gaston Roy film? Into the Void, the Black Sabbath song? I don't know. Um, Enter the Void. Oh wow, Gaspar Noe's film is actually Enter the Void. That's amazing. Yeah, t- no, t- Touching the Void is the one about like the people who climb the mountain. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. No, I was there is actually a movie called Enter the Void. I was thinking that was the documentary too, but that's that's the weird Gaspar Noe film I haven't seen yet. So sorry. Um, yeah, okay. That was, that was a really bizarre digression that's going to be useful to no one. Ah, <laughs> uh, that is. That but is it just true. happened. It's the magic. It's the magic of podcasting. The ma- um yeah there is there is a lot of fight in this one yeah there is some serious combat going on in enter the void there's like it's probably this episode is probably half combat yeah 
I mean, yeah, basically it is. It's just one big uh, combat episode for all intents and purposes. And we'll be there, one big action sequence because there's actually some tension that is not combat related. Right. With um, Asami Mako and Bolin running away from the melting building. Yes. So it's not yeah, yeah. just all combat, but it is very actiony. Right. And I, I remember thinking, uh, watching this, that um, I, maybe this is unfair of me to to bring uh, Phantom Menace into the equation, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Duel of the Fates uh, as a fantastic uh, action sequence from the Phantom Menace. Uh, but I remember being annoyed. Like, at the time, when I first watched it, I just wanted more Duel of the Fates. I just wanted that lightsaber battle to be the entire rest of the movie. And they kept cutting away to uh, Jake Lloyd flying his stupid spaceship and all of the battle droids. Um, oh, come on. Jake Lloyd has taken enough of a drubbing <laughs> over the years. Are we really going to shit on Jake Lloyd on an Avatar podcast? I, I, I'm, I'm, not blaming, I'm not blaming a, Jake Lloyd. <laughs> I have a more important question, which is, couldn't you just see Bolin saying, yippee? <laughs> <laughs> I could, I could, but I would like it much more from Bolin than I did from Jake Lloyd. Anyways, I just remember the, the cutting back and forth between the like three different action sequences in Phantom Menace was not, I don't know, it didn't feel like it was done very well. Maybe I just wasn't happy with it, but whatever. I just remember watching this where we've got the three distinct action the fight sequences and action sequences happening here and we're cutting back and forth and it's very satisfying the pacing of it is is perfect god this shows honestly like this shows pacing of multiple of like multiple action sequences handling happening at once is maybe unmatched in at least television i mean it is you have cora and her dad of um ton ton rock yeah yeah ton rock and versus zaheer um, bound Korra, so her fighting style is fascinating it's, in this it's episode. It's so great, so great. Um, and then the Metal Benders versus Pali, um, and then you have uh, I'm blanking on his name every time. What the hell, Gazan? Uh-huh. Gazan versus uh, basically melting everyone. Yeah, and and all of those are happening at once, and each one it feels like it escalates the. T- this is exactly how you're supposed to do it too. Each one escalates the tension before cutting. To the right. next thing to escalate the tension even further to yeah. before cutting to escalate the tension even further. Yeah. It's incredible. And just the the choreography, I, I talked about the fight choreography a minute ago, but uh, there's one specific scene. It's in the it's in the uh, Korra and Tonrock versus uh, Zaheer thing. Um, so we get you get an extended action sequence where Zaheer is doing all of these like uh, airbending savant flips and twists and and glides and jumps and all that stuff it's just showing how he he only is like touching down on the ground for the briefest of seconds before he launches himself back up in the air again and there's the one moment where you see that for a, a, several beats and then he like flips back through the air as it goes slow motion and tonrock has like the big ice daggers on his arms and leaps towards him uh and uh cora sends an earth tremor or whatever like uses earth bending at just the right moment when zaheer touches down for the briefest of seconds to knock his foot out from under him so he's on the ground and prone so that tonrock can almost cave his skull in with that big giant ice dagger 
I was going to bring that exact thing up as my favorite so thing in the episode. God damn beautiful. I get chills watching that stuff. I'm sorry, Arlo. Paul and I are totally having like a, like a rewatch geek out. I feel like we're giving you time to talk. It's all right. Go this for is it. It's so exciting for us. How did you how did you feel about how did you feel about like because this is like the police like that's this is like there's a lot of shit that happens what how did you feel about the 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 arc of what happened in this battle? Yeah, it was it was a, it was it was a lot. Uh, I, uh, I one thing that I don't want to overlook in all of the the combat is that we get the 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 real reconciliation between Lin and Su Yin. Yes. Yeah. In this episode where, you know, they, they're fighting Pali. They realize that someone might die. Little do they know it'll be Pali at Sue's hand. Um, and Lynn, uh, Lynn tells Sue that she loves her. And then, you know, Sue winds up saving both of their lives by metal bending that thing around Pali's head. And then she goes all scanners. <laughs> so it's so... Oh my God, it's such a great moment. And you know, it's weird. We talked about this earlier in the episode, but it it was weird the way that happened, the way that was edited. Possibly it was a, a sensor thing, who knows? But there there really wasn't even an explosion sound. There was kind of a sound, sort of a, a, a muffled explosion, I guess. But the camera really cuts from the metal wraps around her head. There's kind of a, a brief glow and then it cuts to Zaheer's reaction. And basically yeah. you can just tell from Zaheer's reaction what happened. But if you, if you pay attention as the camera pans around and Zaheer is looking back to where that fight was happening, there's just a smoking crater in the ground. And it didn't dawn on me, I think until this watch that that smoking crater is not just some random bit of damage from the fight. That is, the smoking Pali crater where she just blew herself up. What a, what a move overall. I mean, like, I don't know the, 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 I love it's a mixture of amazingly cool use of metal bending powers. I mean, Sue uses her metal armor Mm -hmm. to encase Pali's head, which is brilliant, but it's also, I mean, it's really brutal and it's kind of sad. I mean, of, of all of them, Pali is, is maybe the least distasteful of everyone in the Red Lotus, in my opinion. You know, Pali has a really, actually maybe the most pure reason mm-hmm. for being a member of that group and for her feelings. She was, um, you know, basically being used as as slave labor for killing people. Like, right. she was, and then, and Zaheer saved her. And, and that gives a good ideological base for why she would support it, but also a very strong emotional base for her to support Zaheer. And unlike the other ones who kind of feel like mean spirited assholes. Yeah. Pali actually feels like she is not the crazy true believer Zaheer is, but has like pure reasons for doing it. And it, it kind of sucks that she's the one that has to go out first and goes out really real hard. And she was Zaheer's last tie to humanity. So it's an amazing sequence that I'm like, yes, she's down. And the metal bending sisters took her down, but I'm also a little sad when it happens. Just add this to the ever-growing list of things that I want a background comic for. Yeah. I'd be on that. You know what else I would like out of that is I want an ideologically underdeveloped Zaheer in his early days before he was in prison. Mm-hmm. Like the passionate, 
chi- like you know teenager or college age Zaheer of the early like, Red Lotus days. Like uh, like Zaheer just like uh, feverishly posting on Reddit. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want that Zaheer before he like becomes a prisoner and actually like develops a real ideology. That's what I want. Oh man. So anyways, <laughs> there's that digression. Um, I don't think you can all tell, but I'm like super. I am like like energized, excited about these episodes, and I'll talk a little more about why when we get to the end of these. But I'm I'm in sort of a giddy mood just discussing these episodes. That's, so I'm, that's I'm awesome. a little off my normal analytical game right now. The, these are giddy episodes. That's awesome, uh, uh, Arlo. I'm gonna ask if uh, I just I want you to have been fooled into thinking someone was dead at some point. God damn it, Kai. I thought Kai was dead. Okay, well, okay. He was slightly fooled by Kai, but how did you feel about Tonrock getting knocked off? Yes, exactly. Were you fooled at all? I yeah, actually, it was uh, it, it was very similar to to the Kai thing. Actually, they both fall fall from a great height. Um, yeah, no, I thought Tonrock w- w- was going to be dead for sure. Because yeah. again, he seems like a character who is important enough for his death to mean something, especially since he's Korra's father, but not indispensable enough that it would have been like a real blow. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I, it, it was believable that he would be dead. Um, but his life is saved by Captain Kuvira, who's a new character. And from like the two seconds she's in the show, I can tell she's going to be important. Oh my God. Maybe there's a couple reasons you might think that one is that Zelda Williams, Robin Williams, daughter is the person who voices right. Kavira. This is actually right. not the first time we've met Kavira Arlo. Did you know that? I did not know that. She's shown up twice before. She shows up in the background of an episode earlier in the season, and she talks. She's actually in Zaufu in the, I think, the episode where Zaheer attacks Zaufu. Am I right about that, Paul? Yeah, it's when Iway disappears, and the they he, like, sets off that bomb at the bottom, and then uh, the guard runs into the room and says, what happened? And, and uh, Suyin says, alert the alert the guards or whatever that was uh kuvira that came in i am gonna have a lot to say about kuvira so yes arlo you're right there we're gonna be talking about kuvira in in the future i have passionate feelings about kuvira as a character um so okay. so yes we are we have not seen the last of kuvira yes. okay and it's interesting to me that this is not the first we've seen of her so clearly they were they were laying the foundation for something by having her pop up earlier in the season okay avatar has never seated a character like they seated kavir which is not to say that kavir is like the most important character ever i, I don't I'm not i'm not saying it like that i don't want to over oh, this is not like an over like oh this is the, because it's the most important character ever it's all I'm, been I about kavira i what i'm my real my real point is is that i don't think that the avatar crew has ever had the opportunity to seed a character in the background before they became important in the way that they did now. And I, I, and what that tells me is I think that they probably would, if they had a chance to rewrite the whole thing, they would probably do this with other characters mm-hmm. more than that. She's the most important character. I guess that's what I'm saying. I think they were like, Hey, we have, we know where the, actually, you know what? Let me back that up. Let me say what, what I think, which is that I think they knew where this story was going to conclude. They had figured out what the ending of Korra's plot line was going to be. And this is one of those signposts along the way that they were working towards a very intentional end game mm-hmm. with the series that they had many things going on, many things they were juggling and that they were really thinking about what the last season of Korra was going to be. Again, it's going to be interesting when we get into season four to see how my feelings on it, uh, on this rewatch, 
play out, but at the moment, I feel most satisfied by season three, by book three. I feel like this is going to wind up being uh, my favorite season. However, it is, it's so satisfying, uh, the the fact that book three is its own incredible story with a beginning, middle and end. And it so perfectly sets up book four. Yeah. It's we'll, we'll talk. I'm going to talk about the context of season three when we get to the end of this, but season two, as much as it has problems sets up season three in a profound and fascinating way. Mm-hmm. And the two of them together set up season four too, which I think is really great. There is something going on at, yeah, so we'll talk more. I want to talk meta stuff at the end, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause there and we'll move on. All right. Well, we can't. Uh, let's not go any further without mentioning uh, Bolin as a lava bender. Oh my yeah. god! How did you feel yeah, about that this? Was what, awesome. did you, what was your reaction to this? I got. I have. I need to know before we talk about it. But how did you feel about this? That was insane. So the whole time we, you know, he's he's trying to metal bend, and we think the the big revelation is going to be that he he learns how to metal bend, but no, it's that in you know. Uh, uh, under pressure with adrenaline rushing he is a natural lava bender is isn't it a great payoff to the episode two episodes before when when mako is making the point that the moment he will find out he's a metal bender is when they need it the most Mm -hmm. and he can't metal bend but he mako is a hundred percent right in theory it's just about the wrong type of thing yeah and i love mako's like you're a lava bender and Bolin's like i know i just found out (laughs) That was that was so great. There are ways that M- but Bolin reads as an attempt to recreate Sokka, mm-hmm. but Frank, but really, Bolin had defined himself as his own type of goofy comic relief, in my opinion. I, I don't know if you two agree with that, but Bolin is the Sokka of the series, but he is not a echo of Sokka. Correct. Oh, I, I agree. I agree with that completely. But you know, I get the same um, the same satisfaction uh or the same thrill from bolin that i got from Sokka in many instances where he's he's so often meant to be the the comic relief he's the goofball of the team uh but it just thrills me every time that he also manages to be like genuinely powerful or useful or whatever like when he demonstrates that he's not just the the comic relief he's not just the goofball he's also a damn good earthbender and same that was the same thrill i got from Sokka every time that he demonstrated that he wasn't just the comic relief he was also the fucking brains of the outfit yeah so yeah i agree he's they it's it's, it's more that they they understood what made Sokka successful and recreated the idea of what made Sokka successful rather than than just try to make Sokka again yeah right I agree with that. Um, so I actually went after um, Bolin lava bended or, or lava bent. I had to um, <laughs> actually. Uh, it, no, in one of these episodes, somebody says air bent. Oh, really? I was, I was thinking, is that the first time we've actually heard the past tense yeah, I'm not, of air bending? We know. need the we need the grammar girl. I don't I don't of, know if that's grammatically of correct. I'm pretty sure someone says airbent because I, 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 I remember making a note about it. Was it Kai uh, or someone? Who the fuck cares what you think? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Uh, no, nah, that's not in my notes who says it. But anyway, so I had to look up the, the lava bending. And one thing I think is interesting is that um, when, uh, when lava bending was first conceived of, 
Um, like in the extras for Avatar, I guess maybe on the DVD or something, they state that lava bending was a combination of earth bending and fire bending, and yeah. thus something that only the Avatar could accomplish. Um, but then this uh, refines it to be just a, a rare specialized technique of earth bending. But it makes sense with that as the background. It makes sense that Bolin would would be able to tap into that since he his parents are an earth bender and a fire bender. That's true. That's very true. That's right. That's right. Point. We keep you around for something, Paul. I know. <laughs> Speaking of which, have we? So did I? Did I give? Did we talk about my head? Can, speaking of like parentage, did we talk about my head cannoning of where the air nation, where these random air nation people came from? I can't remember if we ever, if I ever got a chance to, to rattle off my my head cannon for this. We we talked about this, but I, I don't know what head cannon you're referring to. Go ahead. Okay, stop me if I've talked about this before. If you're like, hey Eric, you actually said this before, but because we've done this season over a long period of time. So not every child of a bender is a bender, but only benders only children of a specific type of bender can become that type of bender. Yes. So you don't get earth benders randomly. You get earth benders from other earth benders. Right. So my feeling on the who people people who became airbenders were the muggle children of airbenders that had seeded throughout the world. Uh-huh. And when the spirit nation hit, those were the people whose mutant airbender gene became activated. Um yeah, we had this conversation before. I don't remember if you made that exact point, but I do remember we had we had a a long uh exploration of whether the 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 new airbenders were random or like how okay. how they were chosen or whatever so maybe maybe i talked about this before i couldn't remember because i did, we probably talked about this in like november or whenever it was we stopped yeah on this season so that's why i couldn't remember if i said it i i listeners i apologize if if you've heard this from me twice i i, I am done that was my i said it i either said it twice or said it once and that's good enough for me i didn't say it zero <laughs> it makes sense though it makes sense i think it tracks um. All right. Can we move on to the the grand finale? Arlo, you still with us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm here. All right. Oh so. man. All right. All right, Arlo. I, I I want what I what I want to hear before we get into the details. What is your overall impression of the finale of this this season? How did you feel coming out of this season? Um. How, how did I feel coming out of the season? Like I had just witnessed the by far the strongest season of Korra and maybe overall the strongest season of the avatar verse so so far i mean as i taken as a whole like i was i was thinking about this so far from what i've seen of cora i'm not sure for me anything reaches the specific heights of avatar like the stuff with zuko for me is still pretty untouchable and by the way we get zuko in this and we in these episodes we haven't really talked about that he's he's not around a lot but he manages to to offer some guidance to Korra. Um, that stuff for me is pretty hard to beat. But overall, I think the story that Book Three tells might be the the best story we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I think I completely agree with that. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I, I'm glad you're. I, it's it's it is uncompromising this season. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which it's this season left me with that feeling of oh, this is why Korra is my is my absolute favorite of the two, even though I love Avatar. 
like Korra is this is the I mean like I think I made this comparison before of Korra being the angel to Avatar's Buffy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think yeah. this I think the end of this season shows I think exactly what I mean when I say that. What what I love about book three of Korra in this finale in particular is that the way that it ends, the Air Nation has been rebuilt, which is such a huge a huge momentous thing, you know going back, you know, this is what the the whole franchise has been culminating or this is the culmination of the whole franchise the Air Nation has been rebuilt it's an incredible thing but at the same time uh, Korra has been broken down mm-hmm. um, and I mean we'll talk more about like the the very ending in that final shot later but I, I, I think it I'm excited to hear you guys say that this builds up book four really well because it ends, I think, in a very interesting place. I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot they can do with this. Yeah. Before we close out uh, the show tonight, I do want to sort of get your predictions, Arlo, on where you think Book Four could go from here. But uh, but okay. we'll get we'll get to that. Get get the um get the predictions before I um. There's something I want to say about season four that is not really a spoiler, but I want I want Arlo's predictions before we get there. Uh, okay. You mean you mean like right now or just before? No, no, no. Before we get to the end, I, I would like okay. to talk about the the context of this season as a whole before we close out. Yeah. Okay. Um. But I will. So yeah. So yeah. Or I'm 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 with you on this finale. This is um. It's it's it, so we have this amazing battle, and we're going to talk about the amazing battle. I'm sure, but it. The consequences of this battle, I don't know if if the anything in Avatar has ever dealt so heavily with the consequences of a battle as this. Yeah. And they came close in season two of of Avatar with Aang's damage, like his his the, the injury. Be- the beginning of book three, yeah, when he yeah. when he came back from being struck by lightning, yeah. Right. Which just came close, but I don't think anything comes close to the last what five or so minutes of this episode, which is Yay, we won! Except, oh my God, this was the most traumatic experience I've ever gone through in my life. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The, it's the it's the tears the tear running down her cheek as the very closing scene of the season is really man that is quite the punctuation I, I, mark. I I want to say that it feels bittersweet, but it I think that's the wrong word because it goes from you know you you feel joy that like the red lotus has been defeated, but then immediately that's undercut by seeing you know, how, how completely broken Cora is, how she's confined to a wheelchair, how she's clearly very um, depressed and, and mostly unresponsive. Um, it's, it's tough to even feel joy that Janora has become, you know, the, the first airbending master in a generation that she, you know, after earlier in the season complaining to her dad about why she couldn't get her tattoo. Now she has her tattoo that's such a huge one for Janora. That's what her character has been building toward uh, throughout the entire series. And it's, it's a great moment, but it's, it's really hard seeing how, how defeated in, in a certain way Cora is. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's so goddamn good. Um, all right. Uh, let's back up a little bit and talk about how Cora gets to that place. So, uh, we finally find out what Zaheer's master plan is, which it doesn't sound particularly uh, original since he just wants to do what um, 
Who else wanted to do this before? Wanted to kill the Avatar in the Avatar state. Has anyone really wanted to? Has that ever been like a plan to this level? I don't I this, like I know that, that that was a thing It's been brought big, up before. That was a big thing in Avatar, right? That that they made a point that if you kill the Avatar in the Avatar state, the cycle's broken. Yeah. You know they exactly. did, but they did, but the point in Avatar was that the um that they were going to keep him imprisoned forever so that, that another right. avatar couldn't come. That right. that was it was the sort of inverse of that the the um the, the the fire nation was not going to kill him because they didn't want a new avatar to arise, but they were just going to keep him imprisoned forever. Yeah, yeah, okay. But 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 if hold on, but if the plan is to kill Korra in the avatar state so the cycle is broken, wouldn't that accomplish the same thing? It, it, it would, would it would. Eric's just saying that that wasn't the plan from Avatar. It's yeah, no, no, it's, it's why... the same, the same idea, but a different end. So I'm just wondering, like, why didn't the Fire Nation want to kill Aang then? Well, they no. So okay, so the difference is, is that the the Red Lotus has a plan to force Korra into the Avatar state to do it, and I, my my feeling is, is that Ozai was not clever enough, yeah, to come up with here's plan, which was. We're going to poison you in such a way that your body is going to force you into the Avatar state in a weakened condition, and then we'll be able to kill you. While Ozai's plan was, I'm going to throw you into a prison cell forever and keep you alive so that there isn't an Avatar while I defeat the world. Because his feeling, I think, was – and actually this may have been the case. If he had wiped out all other bending nations, who would – how would the Avatar have been reborn again? Because there wouldn't have been a waterbender to be born into yeah right so anyways that was so there was the same kind of idea but the really it was like with with ozai it was let's stall the avatar's rebirth until i can take over the world whereas zahir's is explicitly to break the avatar cycle actually my feeling is that ozai what what he would have done would have been kill ang once he's taken over kill ang find the next avatar kill them find the next avatar kill them wait until there's a firebender avatar make them the badass that was that's, <laughs> oh. I, that's what Ozai's plan. Yeah, I, I I can see that. Wow, that's good. <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean the the way they do it is it's really it's really painful to watch her cycling in and out of the Avatar state and her being like so weakened. I mean, there at one point there's an extreme close up on Korra's face and it's just drawn and gaunt. Yeah. They do that. uh, They do that anime thing where like her face is all, all skinny and her eyes are quavering. It's, it's really horrific. It's like the fish, the fisheye lens. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Of of Korra's face. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rough. It's really rough. And then there's that moment where she's, um, she's like hallucinating and she sees, uh, Zaheer as Amon and then as Unalak and then finally Vatu, um, and though I'm upset that I had to see Unalak again, <laughs> um, that's also really effective. And I think it drives home the point that Zaheer is is her is is the best villain so far. Is is her her most dangerous foe thus far? No, yeah, and and so I'm gonna say this at this moment because we'll talk about this a little more later. But Zaheer is absolutely her most dangerous foe. Zaheer is Korra's nemesis. I there are many things I love about next season, and there are ways that season four was my favorite season the first time through. But it not because it never really refutes that Zaheer. In fact, I would say it reinforces season four reinforces that Zaheer was Korra's most dangerous and uh, upsetting foe. Even though I like things about season four 
very profoundly. Zahir is the one who is her, the one who gets under the skin, her skin the most. She, he, he upsets her and damages her a lot. Yeah. And, and actually, so the other side of this is though that, so it, it's, it's really upsetting as she's cycling out of the avatar state, but did both of you like me fist pump when her in the avatar state was way fucking more than any of them had anticipated? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. That was fucking awesome. She, she breaks the platinum restraints. I, yeah. Actually one of my, it's, it's a tiny little, uh, it's just a brief moment of animation, but it's one of my favorite little animation tricks that they pull in this episode. And once again, let's just, let's hear it for a studio mirror for God's sake. Um, thank God that we that this season, we get nothing but studio mirror is amazing. Um, but it's when she's, when she rips the one chain out of the wall and, uh, and like uses the chunk of rock to t- knock uh, Ming, Ming Hua out of the picture. And then as Gahan, or Gazan, excuse me, is launching lava at her, did it, did the either did either of you notice the sort of twirling blur as she whips that chain and wraps it around her arm? Yes. So goddamn good. Oh my god, it's so great. Because if you don't notice that, like the next thing you see, she's just got a a big, uh, she's got a chain wrapped around her arm. But I don't know, just the the little blur of action as that chain whips around her arm and gets shorter and shorter uh, while she's dodging the lava. So perfect. There, there are a few things more satisfying than a villain who has planned out very many things, but has severely underestimated the, what they've asked for. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to get this person in the avatar state and then I'm going to kill them. Not thinking about what core in the avatar state actually means and, and shows that realize that, that they've built up. We, we have history. We have seasons of history with what the avatar state means and seeing confirmation of what that means in a way that Zahir, who does not have the history of understanding what the avatar state means. And they're surprised and befuddled by what they're seeing. And it is, immensely satisfying to me it, as it, a as a viewer it's also a brilliant way of giving us uh, a villain who uh who monologues we get we get a perfect <laughs> a perfect and logical excuse for having a james bond uh murder trap sort of thing going on <laughs> So he gets to stand there and monologue and explain the whole thing. And Cora gets an opportunity to escape, but it was, it made sense. There was a reason it had to be that way. Because, because his monologue wouldn't matter. Like she's not in her own mind in the way that being in the avatar, like her knowing what his plan was, didn't matter. Right. Except insofar as it made her resist the avatar state for a long time. Mm -hmm. But, but once she went to the avatar state, it wasn't like his monologue was the reason he failed. So it doesn't feel like he's an idiot for monologuing. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I also want to call out. Uh, so after she she breaks all the chains and she like she lands on the ground and and earth bends up all those boulders or whatever, she looks there's she's She Hulk in that moment. She looks very yeah. much like She Hulk right there, uh, complete with like the green lighting from the cave and everything. Um, I don't know. I, I just love that, and I love the fact that we get um, again, we get an avatar state where uh, 
she's like unhinged. So we've seen Korra, like most of the time when we saw Aang do the Avatar state, he was out of control. That was sort of the, the way he accessed Avatar state. Korra's really been in control of her Avatar state this whole time. Until the end here, where she is, she's been poisoned, so she's not in her right mind anyways, and as far as she, she knows, she just watched her father get killed. So she's completely unhinged, and she's she hulks out. She is, um, she is basically like Aang versus Sozin before he almost kills Sozin. Mm-hmm. She hits that level of Avatar state. Like the absolute righteous fury of God kind of level... Mm-hmm. of avatar state when she breaks out of those chains and chases zaheer out of the cave like a cuck <laughs> <laughs> wow she is she is in her mode um, okay so that's obviously the the action sequence that we're gonna want to talk about but before so before we get to that let's save that for last before we get to that let's talk about um asami gets an all too brief but awesome action beat yes where she so so the airbender kids are about to free themselves i thought it was really i thought it was cool to see those kids like they come up with a plan and they they manage to get the keys away from the guard and they're about to actually affect their own escape when uh mm-hmm. when asami and lynn and everybody shows up but uh asami just fucking laying that guy out with her with the shock glove god damn that was satisfying <laughs> it was so beautiful yeah, so good. Asami is such a badass. Yeah. I love it. She she could be the Xander of the group, but she is not the Xander of the group. Uh, yeah. So uh, so I love that shot. And then um, the other, of course, the other big action is uh, Mako and Bolin. Again, they they get a rematch with uh, Mingwa and Gazan. Yeah, and I, I love that. Uh, at one point. Uh, Bolin like winks at Gazan oh, mid fight so... <laughs> because so he's because he's, he's, he's a fucking lava bender now. Yeah, so perfect. Um, but the the big moment here is Mako kills Mingwa. Yeah, like and that was another very on screen death scene. Yep. Um, that was really just sort of shocking and how like it just it just happened. Um, he uh, he he electrocutes her. I love so this the season did this perfectly where obviously the show has shown us that he he can lightning bend we've seen him do it several times in fact in season I think it was season 1 where we saw him working in the wasn't it season 1 where he was working in the factories doing lightning bending You know I don't I don't that that sounds right but I don't remember we, Wait we, what about lightning bending We saw Mako at one point working in uh the factories in um in republic city i thought that was season one so anyways it's obviously been set up we we've known from the very beginning that mako is one of the firebenders who can also lightning bend um but it's been a while since we've seen him do it Uh, it's been just long enough like they they went just long enough without reminding us that he can do that that this payoff is a fist pump moment this is one of those oh shit i forgot he could do that and you were down woman so I don't know. That was, that was beautiful. It was also preceded by kind of a a horror movie moment when he like drops down into the pool and it's all dark and you can actually comes out as like a, as like a water spider. Yeah. Well, you you can actually see her behind him, but it's all in shadow. So you don't realize it's her until he like 
you know, starts a fire and lights the room up. And then all of a sudden you realize that's her with all those tentacles behind him. That was terrifying. And, and there's a, there's a brief moment after he electrocutes her. I really like that they go back to him for a second. And he just sort of like his his arm just like hangs down after that. And he, you know, it's not it doesn't really look like he feels like it's a fist pump moment because yeah. he just killed someone. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's a very like I had to do that kind of reaction. Yeah. Like he's not he doesn't hate himself for it. I think he's acknowledging the ne- the necessity of what he did mm-hmm. at that moment, but he's not excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, and, and I want to talk about Ming for a second because Ming like on a surface level, is like the coolest character. Like <laughs> she's she she's awful and evil, and I don't even really know that much about her as a person, but. She's like fucking water Cthulhu. <laughs> I mean, she, she, I, I love everything to do with her, her mini water tentacles. And like the, the scene where there's the, the group of uh, f- fake air nomads mm-hmm. and they're all just like, she, yeah. she's holding up all the robes with her water tentacles. That's awesome. I really love everything to do with, with ming She was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there there was a scene we we didn't get to see her. I mean, I guess we did, but there was one scene in here somewhere. I can't remember where it was, where we see her without the water, where it's just her um, and she's not wearing like the concealing robes. I remember when she was in the the Earth Queen's court, she was wearing robes that kind of made it look like she had arms. Um, But at one point in here, we see her uh, just without the arms or anything. And I remember being struck by how perfect it is for a waterbender to be so slender. Like the fact that she doesn't have any arms makes her especially sort of like serpentine and and yeah, very lithe and and narrow. And I was like, I was just visually struck by how well that that works for a waterbender. Yeah, yeah. But so the interesting thing about these battles is we have like the bullen winking moment. Which is awesome. We have uh, Mako managing to overcome Mingwa, which is not awesome in the way you don't want to see someone kill someone, but is like a a very satisfying Mako knows how to handle himself moment. But none of those compare to for me to Mako and Bolin teaming up. Yes. Against against uh, God, I'm blanking on his name again. Whatever. Whatever. Gazan. Gazan in that fucking battle at the end. I, I am I am such a sucker for team up battles that yes. I know that it's like playing into my like my fetishes. But goddamn, do I love when those two fight Gazan at the end. Yes, I was so happy. Like I would for a brief second, I was like, oh, Bolin doesn't doesn't get to take out his guy by himself. But then I was like, I don't even give a shit because this is the this is you know the brothers. <laughs> this is the uh, the uh, pro bending brother team up that I've loved this entire series again. The so. only thing better than a awesome Kung Fu fight is the um, emotionally connected heroes team up against a powerful bad guy. Yeah. Kung Fu that is like the ultimate of Kung Fu moments for me. Anytime you can get two characters who, you know, who you love together, like characters who you really love to see together teaming up to take on a really powerful bad guy. That is fucking catnip for me. That is, <laughs> I am going to, probably love it inordinately and this is one of those moments where i was like oh my god they're fighting together side by side i love it so total excitement which brings us into the massive pain at the end of this episode yeah all right yeah. so the, well, i'm sorry the fantastic battle sequence that leads into the infinite pain 
So, um, Arlo, what would you think about the the Korra and uh, Zaheer final fight? I mean, I like that you mentioned, I think it was you, Paul, you mentioned earlier that it's it's very much like the Aang-Ozai uh, fight at mm-hmm. the end of uh, Sozin's Comet. Um, the ter- the really terrain occur- is very similar. Yeah, yeah, that hadn't really occurred to me, but and I think that I mean, even that was further. Me. Don't fucking give Paul oh, that credit. Right. That was fucking Jesus. Me. All right, Paul, I'm don't sorry. Take that credit. Jesus Christ. Fuck. Thank right. you, Eric. Thank <laughs> you. I'm backing off. Keep talking. It's the last time I will ever thank you for anything. <laughs> um, but I th- I think that serves to drive to like further drive home the point that Zaheer is Korra's ultimate nemesis, the same way Ozai was Aang's. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and the fight itself was, was great. As I've mentioned numerous times, I'm not nearly as good as pointing out the intricacies of these fight scenes as you guys are. Um, but one moment that I really liked is that, um, Korra, her solution to Zaheer flying around is to encase his foot in ice. Yeah. So it, you know, gravity, bitch. Um, (laughs) you know, what was great about that is we get to see, so he's, Zaheer is like zipping around like Superman. I I love the animation that they that they use for him to show how he flies, where it looks it looks effortless, but there's also like he's obviously he contorts his body when he turns in the air. I don't know, it's so subtle. It's it's a beautiful animation style, a beautiful body language they give him when he's flying around. Um and it obviously when he's like zipping past her it's such an interesting choice that like when he is overpowering her he's not zooming in and punching her in the face he's just zipping past her so fast that she's getting sucked up in his wake uh and like and thrown around and it's such a fascinating combat technique um that i just i I love it but then like he gets his foot encased in ice and then a little bit later when he's getting sucked down by the, the vortex or whatever, it shows how, uh, how delicate that power of flight is. Like he's zipping around and he's obviously powerful with it, but it's also like him carrying Cora is probably the extent of how much weight he could support with that power. Yeah. It's actually another moment where just like when, when um, Cora's avatar state is more than he expects where, Zaheer has, on some level, convinced himself that he is maybe not all-powerful, but unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And the ice around his foot is the second time where Zaheer has a moment. And you can see it. This is great animation. You can see it in his face and his body language that he has been taken by surprise. Mm-hmm. Because there is something that has disabled his ability to be the most powerful person on the battlefield. And he actually doesn't know what to do. He t- yeah. it, actually, it's not until Korra, the poison, overtakes Korra that he has time to think about how to get out of that. If yeah. the poison hadn't overtaken Korra, Zaheer had no response to what Korra had done to him. And he just barely manages to catch himself before he hits the ground. Yeah, yeah. Only because Korra didn't actually attack him did he manage yeah, to barely save himself. Yeah, just because she couldn't follow through. Yeah. So I like that. And it actually... I talk about this a lot with like villains that make me concerned about being very powerful, but moments of vulnerability really sell powerful villains. And that sounds like counterintuitive on the surface, but when a villain who is terrifyingly powerful, but you get to see that there are real vulnerabilities, either psychologically or physically or both, that actually sells the other levels of power because you start, you believe 
that they're very powerful because there's a psychological effect to their power. Yeah. So it actually sells it all to me, and Zaheer's reaction when that ice goes around his feet makes me feel better about his cocky arrogance in other scenes. Yeah. So we have to talk about the one-shot. Oh, yes, the one-shot. Arlo, did you notice the one-shot? Did you have a reaction to the one-shot? I actually didn't notice that it was a one-shot until I, I, I read about it later. You're worthless. I'm a bad, I'm a bad person. <laughs> well, put, well, Arlo's off the show. <laughs> um, I This was a little while ago that I had read about it, but uh, I believe I read that it was... Um, I mean, there were a couple cuts here or there, but there there was a moment where it was a, a continuous single take, and it was actually a single like animated background that the camera was moving over, and so that sort of that weird uh, uh, disorienting sort of tilt to the background as they're zooming through the air and coming up through the clouds and all that that was because it was actually a single painted background that they had the camera and the and the foreground characters moving over i don't know it's just it's incredible it was incredible throw, throw, throwback wednesday to the um, moment in man of steel where they ripped this off <laughs> yeah there's a there is legitimately a one shot that is like kind of a pov shot from um uh superman fighting Zod. Right, yeah. That is a much more boring version. I actually like, don't hate Man of Steel, but there is a much more oh. boring version of exactly Man of happened. Steel. Man of Steel couldn't rip it off because it came out first. It did not come out before this. It came out a, it came out a year before this. This was 2014. Man of Steel was 2013. This was not 2014. Yes, it was. That doesn't seem right, but okay. It's I I I promise you it was uh, no, August twenty fourteen. Oh I, my god! Seriously, did they look at it and go, "Well, okay, hold on. When was Man of Steel?" Twenty thirteen. No shit, really? <laughs> okay, yeah. never mind. So you watch Man of Steel. We're like, fuck that. We're gonna mic drop that shit. <laughs> never mind. That's even better. Uh, Legend of Korra was like, we can out, we can out Snyder, Snyder. <laughs> wow, uh, I didn't realize. This, you know how like you have those moments where you feel really old. This actually makes me feel like younger. It, <laughs> yeah, no, it it does not seem like uh, season three of Korra was this recent. Was that recent? Yeah, I honestly, because I mean, I watched it after it had come out, so I had assumed it had been out for a while. Yeah, yeah. Arlo, Arlo, you made me feel young. How do you feel about that? I'm disgusted with myself. <laughs> that's that's not the outcome I would ever want from from any of this. I don't so, want to make you feel better about yourself. So so your feeling about season three of Korra is that you were disgusted because the season three of Korra ultimately made me feel good about myself. Yeah, shit. You just ruined book three of Korra for me. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> nice. I am Spartacus. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, well, let's, let's head to the re resolution then. So anything else about this fight that we need to talk about? Well, no, no, no. We haven't. So, okay. So Janora does her Deus Ex Janora thing again, but actually I think in a, but in a immensely much better satisfying way. way, how amazing is the coalition of airbenders yes. in this moment? Oh yeah. I don't know. That's phenomenal. It. Like that I think is um like compared to last season where she really was like, you know, the, the Janora in the machine. Um, <laughs> This feels right. This feels 
again, like what she's been building toward. Um, and I love that, uh, you know, her, she says, there haven't been this many airbenders in one place for a long time either. We have power together. And that's how they win. They win because they, they act together. Yeah. And I love I, that. I, I'm actually tearing up in memory of tearing up. When this <laughs> I, actually, I, I, I actually legitimately got teary in that moment. It, See, now I'm making you cry, and I like that much better. <laughs> so, Janora, uh, we made jokes about the Janora and the machine, the Deus Ex Janora, but um, she kind of, I mean, she basically saves the day in in uh, a few instances in this entire season, actually, because the only yeah. the only reason that they knew um, that Korra had been poisoned, like the only reason that, yep. uh, Ku, not Kuvira, uh, Suyin could metal bend the poison out of Korra is that uh, Janora had done her little uh, Yoda ghost thing or whatever yeah, and watched her be poisoned in the first place. So if that had not happened, Korra would have died. Well, the the review that Arlo pointed out um, kind of compares um, uh, Janora to, God, Katara. Yeah. In a lot of ways, she is, she is as... She becomes that kind of character who's there to who manages to see what is needs to be seen and be ready to be um, active at the right moment, uh-huh. and that's that's where Janora is. And this season acknowledges it a little more explicitly for Janora than last season did, which I really like. But um, Janora is a main character in a lot of ways. I mean, I know she doesn't show up with Teen Avatar the way that the other characters do, but Janora gets to be as active in. Cora's success as anyone and absolutely yeah I, I think it's really effective i think they really nail it this se- this season is so well balanced as far as characters like yeah i just i don't i, it's, I still it's incredible it's incredible the focus in this season after like how much of a mess the previous season was uh-huh. um it's it's amazing how they came back with full focus i feel like that doesn't happen very often where a show rebounds like this again i didn't think season two was bad but it was a mess and it wasn't nearly it wasn't nearly as good as the first season and they have managed to really really rebound and tighten everything up yeah i think it helps if you if you look at season two as season one of the cora show if you look at like season one is sort of the Korra film that inspires the Korra series. Yeah. <laughs> right. As silly right. as that sounds. Yeah. Because in case you know, listeners don't remember, the first season was initially envisioned as only as like being the entirety of the show. Yeah. Yeah. And and, so, and I think it was originally meant to be a movie. Like they were originally it was going to be a special. Um, it oh, wasn't. Really? It wasn't. I don't think it was originally intended to be twelve episodes. Obviously, they they ended up writing it that way, but. Uh... Yeah. So, so season one is like a standalone story that sort of tells the origin or like the the ascent of Korra the Avatar, um, and season two is season one of the Korra arc. And I say that not as an excuse for season two being a mess, but because season three could not exist without the groundwork that season two laid. Season two, yeah. and I don't just mean that in like the like airbending stuff, but the whole like the way the spirit world is interacting with the world. Season two is very impactful to the world of Avatar. Yeah. It is not a throwaway season. It's not one of those seasons. And we've seen this with shows where there's bad seasons that you just sort of have to ignore mm-hmm. and move on. Season two is not that season two is just not a very well told version of an important story. Right. Yeah. 
And and season three flows along with that. And as we'll see when we get to season four, it is the culmination of what season two started. So season two is a goddamn mess, but it is a mess in the way that season one of Buffy is a mess. Or even season one of Angel, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um all right. So so they, they we, we get the end and we get Cora and then we get, oh my god, this brutal postscript epilogue to the end of this yeah season. yeah well one so so it starts with um we notice Corey is confined to a wheelchair uh asami is taking care of her and i i, lo- I love the way their relationship has progressed mm-hmm. yes. um it's really great to see um and then she's welcomed back to republic city by president raiko who is singing a much different tune of course than he was the last time he saw her when he ran her out of town basically um, with the world getting more and more dangerous, we need the Avatar now more than ever. Where were you, you know, a couple months ago, motherfucker? Anyway. <laughs> um, so he w- welcomes her back. Um, and then she watches Janora become the first airbending master in a generation. And there's that single tear that rolls down her cheek. And that is so... It, it's, it's such a... It's such a haunting ending because all of these good things have happened you know Z- the red lotus has been defeated zahir has been defeated um the the air nation has been rebuilt janora has become an airbending master but it, it's come at such a price for cora like mentally and physically and now i mean we have to remember that when she was hallucinating and she saw the past villains they were all telling her variations of the world doesn't need you anymore mm-hmm. the world is the world is moving on from you and all uh cora her identity has always been rooted in being the avatar that's why at the end of book one when she lost her bending she contemplated suicide the show didn't blatantly say she did but she she did um and now you know she has the villains taunting her like that. And then she sees that the air nation is back. That was, that was like a, the, that was Aang's dream. And now Janora has become a master and it seems very, and, and she, she herself, you know, is, is at least for the, at the, at the moment uh, disabled. It's, it seems that perhaps the world doesn't need her. <coughs> well, all right, so let me. That's interesting because I that, I, is, that is a very interesting take. Yes, I I I, I want to get your take on what uh, this will be difficult for Eric and I to talk about since we, we obviously have a much better idea. But so Arlo, your read on her emotional state is that she is she's feeling like maybe the world doesn't need her as the Avatar. Is that is that what you're yes. saying? Yes. Okay. Um, okay, Eric, how can we talk about this? Well, no, I actually, you know, I, I don't actually think we need to talk about it too much because I actually don't think that is an in, incorrect take on Cora's mental no. state. I think that there, I actually, I actually, I, I have some, some feelings to put about my, why I think the end of the season is, is really amazing, but I, I, I don't have a, that is an interesting take and not the exact way I would have thought to frame it, but that's a really interesting take to me. Okay. Um, wow, I had I, I had a, a read that like completely took you guys by surprise. <laughs> no, it's 
no, your read is is totally valid. It's just that, okay, so I read a certain. I gotta be really careful here without without spoiling like where the show goes from here. But so I wanted to ask one of my sort of closing questions was to ask what do we think her state of mind is there? And and Arlo, you just sort of you jumped in there and explained that your take is that she's upset that maybe the world doesn't need her as the avatar. Um, that's a valid read. And, but I also, I was expecting you to get some sense of PTSD from this. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Because one of the reasons why that the final like teardrop is so powerful for me is that, um, is that it's again, an example of studio mirror and their subtle animation where you can really, like you can read so much into the facial expression, just so much in her eyes as that tear is falling down the side of her face um, where it really leaves you. And if you, I mean, if you just imagine being the audience that was watching this as it originally aired and you know that you're still like a year away from seeing the continuation of this, it really and in leaves fact, you. One thing re- reading that AV club review, one thing that made me realize was at the time they weren't even sure they were going to get book four. Yeah. They knew book four was in production, but given how Nickelodeon had treated book three, yeah. it, it wasn't even a certainty they were ever going to see it. Yeah. So uh, I just, I, I, I love that, that you can read so much. There's so much of a question on what is going on with Cora. And I don't know. That's, that's part of the reason why it's so powerful for me to watch that is that, you know, I, I can think of a dozen different reasons why she's in so much pain in that moment. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, my, my read is actually not that like it's the, it's different than Arlo's read than at that time than what he came up with, but it's actually compatible with it, which is that Cora through PTSD and and I'm going to babble for a second on P- the PTSD thing in a moment moment but because she is having this like moment of un- not knowing what she can do I feel like my read was Cora feels like she can't be the avatar anymore and the air nation being willing to step up and fill in the gap is confirmation that she can't be the avatar anymore which I realize is like this kind of similar to what Arlo said but a maybe a more painful read on it that it's that someone else is stepping up not because the world doesn't need the avatar but because the avatar can't be the avatar anymore mm-hmm. so, and so, so in someone a else sense, has to step up so in a sense there's this feeling maybe in Korra there's this feeling that even though they beat Zaheer he kind of won, like he kind of achieved his purpose the world she's basically watching the world kind of evolve past the point where it, it needs the avatar yeah, yeah. Zaheer won. Zaheer has made the Avatar irrelevant. Yeah. Wow. Shit. It's rough, man. So it's he rough. he he's, he kind of succeeded. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I mean, he ended up with Bolin's sock in his mouth, so. <laughs> Which mean... is my least favorite Zaheer scene of all time, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't no, like, I'm, I don't I'm like him raving. You. I don't think that was the right call. Uh, him being just kind of pushed over the edge at the end. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I don't know how you. I don't know if you all have like a read on that. I didn't, I actually didn't bother me the first time out because I was annoyed with Zier at that point. But this time through, I was like, I don't know. Feels like a bridge too far. I don't know. I it didn't. It didn't really bother me. Maybe just because it doesn't go on very long. I think if it had gone on much longer than that, 
it kind of turns him into a joke, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it, it didn't I, I didn't love that moment. Arlo, how did you feel? It I don't know if I had as much of a problem with it as you did, but it does kind of feel like sacrificing a little bit of the character for a, a joke. For a very literal sock, you know, put a sock in a joke. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, on the other hand, it uh, as so much with that character, you know, we get we get just enough, just a tiniest scratch or hint of of something to put ideas in our heads or to ask questions, to raise questions, and we don't actually get necessarily answered on camera. But you could also the fact that he kind of goes out desperate like that, sort of unhinged or whatever makes you wonder how far back that unhinging <laughs> goes. Like he's seemed like he's had it all together. He's had it so together this whole time and even up to and including the, uh, you know, severing his earthly ties by losing Pali and all that. It seemed like he handled that pretty well. Like he got his shit together and that allowed him to unlock this whole flying thing. But I don't know when the character ends in that point, it makes you question. Maybe he was always just a little more on edge than we thought. That's an interesting read. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my feeling on it is that he had let go of his earthly tether, but conditionally because it was like, well, I'm going to beat the avatar. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't beat the avatar. And then his mind was like, well, what the fuck was all this worth then? Right. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, maybe the PTSD thing, I guess it comes from seeing her in a wheelchair and, uh, I mean, we don't, we don't know what her physical state is at this point. We don't know if maybe she's just weak and that's why she's in a wheelchair or is she actually, is she actually crippled? I don't know. Um, Eric, you had said that you want to, you want to talk about your feelings overall, on book three and how it transitions into book four is this yeah so okay so so there's sort of two things that transition into book four and and one is the the core related piece which is that i can't think of another show period that like dealt with the aftermath of a victory in the exact way that cora did not just in that there is an aftermath a lot of shows like to pretend like they're dealing with the aftermath but Cora, Cora is very harmed by her victory against Tahir in this. It is really damaged her. And what I like is that the season end of season three shows that they're not going to back away. And I just want to promise that season four does not back away mm-hmm. from where we leave Cora at the end of season three. That tier at the at the end of season three is going to get its full treatment. Season four. season season four is uh a season-long uh cora tier <laughs> yes it yes. is that it, it is, is that tier expanded into book form <laughs> they are really going to deal with it and and it it makes it warms my heart because post-traumatic stress disorders are a very real thing and and just dealing with trauma is a very difficult real thing and heroes never are forced to deal with trauma Mm-hmm. And and and, I, and it makes them stronger. Like people treat it like it's going to make them weaker, and it it doesn't. So, anyways, I I love that Cora's arc involves the dealing with trauma. So that's a that's like a a character thing. But the other thing that I think is interesting, and you probably have all heard me talk about how season four was my favorite season. So I want to put that in context on two levels. One is that I like season three more than I did 
before. I always really like season three, but I've reconciled some of my anger with it, and I actually am profoundly happy with season three. And so my feeling on this, so that you don't think I'm all nuts on season four, is that season three is the climax of The Legend of Korra. Season three is the point at which the Zahira is her biggest villain. She has to face her biggest foe. Season three is the climax. There's a reason season four is called balance Mm -hmm. because it is the culmination of everything that's happened. So my love for season four has to do with it being the culmination of lots of journeys, not because it's the most brutal or anything like that. Season four has brought everything that season three brought everything to the fore. Oh my God, to the fore. I'm going to say four (laughs) after this. Season three brought everything to a head and season four is bringing everything that has been fucked up into balance. That's why it's called balance. So I don't know what season's going to be my favorite this time through. Season three may actually end up being my favorite, but what I love about season four is it is the culmination. So don't expect it to outdo season three in terms of it, it's fireworks or, or stirring the pot. It is the culmination of the plot that we have been building towards. So I just wanted to make that clear. Okay. Awesome. I uh, feel adequately prepared now for book four. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Arlo, what uh, what are your thoughts coming out of book three? Were were we significantly changed? Was change an appropriate uh, subtitle? Oh, I think I think absolutely. I think everything has changed now. Um, you know, with the spirit world being combined with the 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 physical world um, with, with Korra's mental and physical state with what's happened with the, uh, the air nation with Janora. I, I feel like it, everything has changed pretty significantly. I mean, even, you know, Bo Lin is now, uh, has realized his potential as a lava bender. Um, yes. There's been a great deal of change uh, during book three. And like I said earlier, I think it might be taken as a whole, the strongest book of the Avatar franchise up to this point. Um, I, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely loved it. Sweet. This season is the first time where I think I can definitively say, this is why Korra is my favorite of the series. Not because Avatar is at all bad because Avatar is wonderful. Avatar is an amazing (laughs) series. But but this season shows why Korra gets into my heart on a level that even Avatar didn't. Yeah. And it's just because it's it's I don't know. It's amazing. It Korra speaks to me really deeply. And this I, series, this season shows it. I think you've probably uh, broken me with like the first time, Eric, that you described uh, Korra as the angel to uh, Avatar's Buffy or whatever. Um, as soon as you said that, I was I was lost like. I, I was done in at the beginning of this entire project. I think I, I said that I go back and forth over whether I prefer avatar or whether I prefer Cora. And it kind of, it kind of boils down to whichever one I'm watching at the time. Like when we were, when uh, I was rewatching avatar for the show, I was like, I was thinking to myself, at least, I don't know if I ever said, yeah, this is, this is it. I fucking love avatar. Cora's is great, but avatar is my, 
is my bag. Um, and now that we're into Cora, I was like, oh, shit, I don't know. This is amazing. May, this might be the best. And book three has me in the same spot, Eric. And, you know, you called it Angel. That probably pushed me over the line. I think as of this moment, the finale of book three, yes, I I adore Avatar. I have absolutely nothing but praise for Avatar. But this book of Korra is the shit. This this is the pinnacle. Feels really good. Basically, what we're saying is there's nowhere to go but down. So oh, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> season four is going to ruin it for you all. No, I, I like I said, I, I, I just want us all to be in the headspace that what season four is is the conclusion of Korra, yeah. not the climax of Korra. Because Avatar Season 3 is the climax of Avatar. Right, It's yeah. both the conclusion and climax of Avatar. And there's think... a reason we're comparing Korra uh, both the 2 and 3 of Avatar, because it is a climax of Avatar, but it does not conclude Korra's story. I, I think we were really onto something. Eric, I think you really were onto something when you, when you said that uh, Book 1 of Korra was actually Book book zero <laughs> whatever it was it was actually the the movie that comes between avatar and cora and so cora the show didn't really start until season two um i feel like that lets it track more with avatar you know avatar had three seasons if we look at it this way cora has three seasons yes so and and there will be big things in cora season four but it is definitely the emotional conclusion of cora and i am so excited to get to that because honestly that's not again we're gonna get back to angel that's not that different from angel in a lot of ways season four was the big (laughs) thing of angel you know angel season four is the like let's burn the world down season angel season five is really much more about angel coming to terms with who he is Mm -hmm. and it's the best season of the show yeah well and and i'm not gonna say you're both gonna think it you may honestly we may come out of this with maybe two or three of us thinking that season three of Korra is the best, the absolute pinnacle of the Avatar verse. That may be the case. I'm not going to predict where I'm going to come out at the end of season four. When I came out the first time, I felt the most satisfied with four, but it might be because it's the ending and I love endings. Mm-hmm. I just really love endings. But um, we, this is everything good I remembered about season three, plus a lot of things I remembered as bad that I have re-examined. So I am over the moon right now with where we've come so that is a shit ton of us talking about book four arlo i want to ask now that now that uh, you've you've now that we've explained what season four is why don't you um take a stab at maybe what what are you expecting from book four just based on how book three just ended where do you think they can possibly go um i mean i think i i think he'll explore more of what the new air nation is like i think i mean since it's called balance i assume finding a balance between the spirit and physical worlds and definitely rehabilitating cora you know in both a, a physical sense and a, a mental emotional sense so so yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to all of that sweet all right um are we gonna make arlo predict what smoke and shadow is <laughs> well None of us have read it, including myself, uh, Smoke and Shadow. So, yeah, this is a good point, I guess, to mention that um, as we've done the entire time between Korra seasons, we will do an episode where we focus on a volume of the official Avatar The Last Airbender continuation comic series 
from Dark Horse. Um, previously, we've done that three times before with the Promise, the Search, and the Rift. Um, all three of those I had read before, um, but uh, Eric and Arlo had not, and so they were both noobs uh, when it came to those stories. Now, the one that we're about to do uh, in our next episode, we're going to cover Volume Four, which is called Smoke and Shadow, and none of us have read that, myself included. So, um, Eric has already promised that he is going to uh, ride my ass. <laughs> that they are going to get a thrill out of making me be the noob finally. Yep. Uh, talking about something that as oh yeah experience. So, yeah, that is the next thing that we're going to be talking about. Um, since none of us know what it's about, do we all want to take a stab or do we just want to make Arlo do it? I mean, make Arlo do, do it. it. Make Arlo do it. Okay, Arlo. What do you predict Smoke and Shadow is going to be about? It's clearly the long-awaited epic team-up of the Smoke Monster from Lost and Shadow the Hedgehog. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What the hell is Shadow the Hedgehog? Wait, 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 wait. You don't know who Shadow the Hedgehog oh, is? Oh, no, I Eric, what have you do done? I know who Shadow the Hedgehog What have you done? Shadow, Shadow is introduced in Sonic Adventure 2. <laughs> he's, the, he's the evil Sonic, basically. Um, he, he's, he's, he's a bad guy. He worked for, uh, for, for Dr. Robotnik or Eggman or whatever they call him now. Um, he like, he uses like ray guns and shit. He had his own game and everything, Eric, come on. So he's basically the Venom. He has, and he has, he has rocket boots. <laughs> All right. Oh so, um, yeah, I think that's, I think that is, a, I, I'm expecting basically the same thing. A showdown between the smoke monster and shadow the hedgehog. There we no, go. no, no, no. They are teaming up to take down the Aang gang. Oh, oh. well, they're fucked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're fucked. You can't come back from the smoke monster and shadow the hedgehog. <laughs> wow. I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> um all right so that was book three uh and an amazing book it was um um yeah i don't know closing the book on book three we're closing the book on book three yo this is the last so the next time we reach the end of a season we're actually done that's right yeah that's right pour one out for uh legend of Korra. um almost not quite can't come soon enough gotta get eric out of my land Happening. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you everybody at home uh, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at our website, theavatarreturns.com. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. Make sure you never miss another exciting episode because they are so random when they come out. Uh, while you're I there. Know. While you're there, be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Uh, help spread the word. If you'd like to contact us, please send your correspondence, care of Monkey Yahtzee, uh, to tarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and, of course, you can always find us on social media, facebook.com slash theavatarreturns or twitter.com slash tarpodcast. Uh, and on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And Arlo is at Unplugged Crazy. Uh, next, uh, because, at any, because at any given time, there is at least one member of Team The Avatar Returns that just simply does not give a shit about our audience. <laughs> uh, and thus, it's impossible for us to string two episodes of this podcast back to back. We will be skipping yet another week. Uh, but, uh, but we're back the second week of March 
with the next volume of the Dark Horse graphic novel tie-in series, Avatar The Last Airbender, Volume 4, Smoke and Shadow. Uh, until then, remember, Kaka! Kaka! <laughs> you said we'd work it out. You said that you had no doubt. That deep down we were really in love. Oh, but I'm tired of holding on to a feeling I know is gone. I do believe that I've had enough. I've had enough of the falseness of a one of relation. Fly.